Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. So, um, I, a couple of weeks ago, I saw an interesting thing on, I can't remember where it was, social media somewhere, where people were talking about doing a Christmas challenge together. So they said the Gospel of Luke has 24 chapters, and if you start on the 1st of December and read a chapter a day, then you finish just before Christmas on the 24th of December, and you know then, then you're ready for Christmas. And I thought that's a, that's a great idea, because it's so easy, especially after a long and in many ways hard year, it's so easy to not only go on vacation, but to take vacation from God. <laughs> you know, to, to think that, you know... Um, you rest, so you just sort of drift and, and become a bit lax in terms of spiritual things as well. And, and I thought it was a, a good idea for us as a, as a church to start to, to maybe do the Christmas challenge, and especially as small groups together. And by the way, if you're not in a small group yet, uh, please talk uh, to one of us and, and we'll help you um, connect with one. But, but the plan is then that, we, that we're going to read, starting on this coming Wednesday, the 1st of December, read a chapter of, of Luke's Gospel every day. And we're going to preach for, for the month of December. We're going to just sort of do an overview you know, in terms of preaching uh, on the Gospel of Luke. And I think you're going to enjoy the journey a lot. It's a, it's a very powerful um, yeah, just a powerful portion of scripture. Now, many people don't know that, that Luke is the only non-Jew who wrote books in the New Testament. don't know if you knew, uh, if, if, if you knew that. All the other writers of the New Testament were baptized Jews. Luke was a baptized Gentile. <laughs> and we see that, for instance, in um, Colossians 4, in verse 10 uh, to to 14, it says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. And then he says, These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. And then he says, Epaphras, who is one of you. In other words, who is writing this to the Colossians. So, so he's talking about Epaphras, who is... Um, he's, he's a Colossian, you know, he's, he's from the city of Colossae. Epaphras, who is one of you, um, and a servant of Christ, Jesus, sends greeting. And then he goes on and he says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. And so you see that, you know, Epaphras, Luke, Demas, those guys are mentioned as, as guys who are not Jews, who are not um, Paul's countrymen. So, so he's, a, he's a Gentile, but he's also called the beloved doctor. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, so sometimes we underestimate how God uses, how God places us in the right family, in the right culture, so that he can use us. And, and you know, it, it's clear from, from this that um, Luke was probably of a more sort of upper class Greco-Roman culture, sort of more well off. He could study, he could... He was highly educated. He could become a doctor. If you read the, you know, the Greek in, in, in the New Testament times was called Koine Greek. Koine means common. You know, like, like they used to call Afrikaans kitchen Dutch. 
<laughs> because it's a very simplified form, and a form of Dutch. I mean, if you look at, at you know, pure Dutch, it's, it's much more complex grammatically. Um, so, so Afrikaans is kitchen Dutch. Now, Koine Greek was kitchen Greek. You know, it was, it was common Greek. It was simplified Greek. And, and most of the New Testament is written in common Greek. If you look, for instance, at Mark's gospel and John's gospel, very simple Greek, grammatically speaking. You know, very easy to read, easy to understand. But Luke writes in a Greek that's, that's a bit more closer to classical Greek, which is the more complex Greek, you know. And um, it's, it's the more educated form of Greek that Luke writes in. So, so he wrote the, the books of Luke and Acts. In fact, he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. He, he wrote, in terms of word count, even more than Paul. Quite a bit more than Paul. So about the quarter in terms of word count of the New Testament was written by Luke, taken up by, by Luke and Acts. And it's interesting how God... You know, placed him in a family, just like God placed Ichmar, you know, with, with Marlette and Leopold, and he'll experience a certain culture and a certain upbringing, uh, and certain things will be input, he'll experience a certain education. So Luke was placed in a certain family, in a certain uh, culture, so, so they were well off, he got a good education, but God allowed him to experience that so that God could use it in his kingdom. Um, we see, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, in, in, in Luke 1, let me just read that for you, because that's the, the scripture I want to focus on. Luke 1, verse 1 to 4, it says, uh, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down, these things that were fulfilled among us, were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And we see that he, that he goes, not only is he highly educated, he uses sort of, you know, more upper class Greek, you know, he's, he's a is a doctor. He's qualified as a, as a doctor, so he's obviously well read as well um, in terms of of literature. But but he he has buddies, you know, who are most excellent, you know, <laughs> most excellent Theophilus, and that was usually that that sort of title, the most excellent so and so, was usually reserved for Roman, um, you know, guys who who occupied um, some other high office in the Roman government. So so Theophilus was obviously sort of a so some other dignitary, you know, we don't know who he was, but he was some other dignitary, and, and that, because that title, most excellent, you know, was, was usually reserved for Roman dignitaries. So he has powerful friends as well. But it's interesting that, in a sense, he left all of that, this, you know, promising career in medicine. He didn't stop practicing medicine because he's, he's called the beloved doctor. He's not called the beloved ex-doctor. So he still continued to practice medicine, but, but he, he, didn't, he, he didn't stay in one place. He, he, he left it to go and travel with Paul and, and help him on his missionary journeys. And that's you know, why he's mentioned in Colossians and, and you know, two other places in Paul's letters. Um, and he obviously received the gospel at some other stage. We don't know how and when. But the gospel really changed his heart. And even though he came from an upper-class background, his gospel and acts, particularly more even so than the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and, and John, have a 
has a deep concern. His gospel has a deep concern for what uh, a scholar Joel Green calls the least, the lost, and the left out. People on the margins, people on the periphery of society, women, Samaritans who were rejected by the Jews, the poor, etc., etc. You know, so so it's clear that that there's been a change in his heart, and even though he comes from an upper class background, he feels very comfortable with lower class people, people on the margins, and in fact, he advocates for them. And he uses his position and his education to, to, to bless them. And it, it's, I find him a very interesting person, Luke. You know? um, if, if you forced me, and I, I like the whole Bible, but if you forced me to choose my favorite books in the New Testament, I'd, I'd probably choose Luke Acts. <laughs> you know? Be- just because it, it covers so much, you know, not only of, of Old Testament history, because there are sermons in, in Acts which cover Old Testament history, but the, the whole of New Testament history like no other um, book in the Bible. So it's, it's, it's very powerful. And, 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 and I find Luke a fascinating guy, an interesting guy, highly educated, but deeply concerned for people in need. And he says to, to Theophilus, and, and the word Theophilus means lover of God, and, and through Theophilus, obviously, in a sense, he's, Theophilus was probably the guy who was sponsoring. You know, it was quite expensive to, to write, you know, documents. Paper and, and writing material was very expensive in those days. So he was probably sponsoring, you know, this project of writing down, recording what happened in the Gospels. Um, so, you know, it's, in, in, that's why, probably why it's dedicated to him. Um, and he says to him, and, and to, through him to us, why? Not only what he's writing... But why he's writing. And he says how he's doing this history. And he says, I want you to know this in, in verse 4, so that you may have, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. So that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Think of this for a moment. If you're if you're a believer. Your confidence with which you live the Christian life, your, your obedience to the gospel and to, 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 to the word of God, your, your hope with which you live, your, the peace with which you live, the steadfastness, the, the commitment to the cause of Christ, um, and, and your consistency in living it, all depend on your certainty that it is true and that it is really so. The more certain you are that these things really happen, that Jesus really is who he says he is, and that he really did what he said he did, the more certain you are of that, the more confidence you're going to have in living it out, in obeying it, the more hope you're going to have in it, the more trust you're going to have in it, the more it's going to flow out in obedience in your life. You know, when you're not certain of something, then you're sort of tentative in your approach to it. Right? I remember when we were, we went to sort of a, um, I can't remember if it was at the end of my primary school or at the beginning of my high school career, but we went to somewhere what we called a felt school. You know, it was sort of the, the whole grade went and camped for a weekend. Or it was the week, I can't even remember. It might have been a whole week. That we went and camped and we did all kinds of stuff in, in, sort of in the felt. You know, and learned all kinds of things about the felt. And it was it was quite nice. But I remember there was this one um, 
There's one place where we had to cross sort of a, 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 a little gorge over a stream, and there was a, a hang bridge, but it, was, it, it looked kind of flimsy, you know. And, and the, the, the leaders were saying to us, come on, guys, you know, you've got to run, you know, across the bridge. And, the, you know, we were like you know, going like this, like tentatively feeling the bridge because, and then you get on it and it starts shaking like this. And everyone was tentative. And, and then, you know, the, the leader eventually said, no, come on, get off. You guys are too slow. And he just ran across the bridge. And then when everyone else saw his confidence in running across the bridge and that the bridge actually held his weight, I mean, he's an adult. Then all of a sudden, everyone started running over as well, you know, because all of a sudden we had confidence in it. And so often, listen to me, so often we live the Christian life so tentatively because we are not really certain of what we've been taught. We don't have enough confidence in what we've been taught. I don't know if you've, re- you've sometimes recognized that in your life. How, how much more confidence would you have to witness to other people if you were really certain? Because let, let's be honest with ourselves, okay? <laughs> it's not what we say, but how we live that shows how much confidence we have in the gospel and in the word of God. Right? And if you want to live more confidently, Live out the gospel. We always talk about live the gospel, love the people, obey the spirit. If you want to live the gospel with more confidence, you have to have more certainty in the gospel. More confidence in the gospel. How confident are you? If, if you're not a believer, then obviously, you know, if you're a seeker here this morning and you're still sort of checking out this Christian thing and deciding, you know, whether you want to believe it, if, If you have a lot of uncertainty about it, you're going to be tentative in your response to the gospel. But if you have certainty and you see that, well, this can actually be trusted, this is actually true, this is actually reliable, not just, it's not just, it doesn't just require blind faith, you know, that I just take a leap of faith and, 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 you know, sort of blindly trust it without any evidence, but there's evidence that this can be trusted, then you, your response to the gospel is going to be much more confident. You're going to say, yes, I can believe in this Jesus. Because he's not just a myth or a figment of someone's imagination. He's a historical reality. So, you know, how certain or uncertain are you? Maybe I just can, can, can maybe ask you this question. And, and, and I want you to just maybe turn to one another in groups of two and just share with one another. What does your life, how you live out the gospel, how you live in obedience to the word of God, how does your life, what does your life reveal about your level of certainty about the word of God? Just take a minute and just quickly turn to someone next to you and just share with them. So... Um, If you want to live in more obedience, more confidence, more commitment to the gospel, you need to receive Luke in a way that, in the way that Luke intended it, his gospel and acts, in the way he intended it. And you need to allow it to to cause you to grow in your certainty. But but Luke gives us two two basic things here that can help us grow in our certainty about the things that we've been taught about Jesus and about what Jesus did. Um, 
And, you know, when, when I think of this, I always think of the story of, of Josh McDowell. He was a famous, he, he's a famous um, apologist, Christian apologist, but he started off as a skeptic. Um, he was raised on a farm, and his dad was an alcoholic and, and used to beat him up. So he, he grew up very bitter. And, you know, even worse, I mean, there was a farmhand on the farm who sexually abused him, you know, from the age of six until, you know, his early teenage years. And, and so he grew up a very bitter and, and broken young man, uh, but also very um, ambitious. He decided he wanted to become the president of the United States. Um, and he had, a, I think, a 20-year plan or something. And, and he sort of did his research, and he found out that most American presidents had studied law, so he went to study law. And that was the first couple of years of his 20-year plan or whatever it was. Um, and he had it all laid out. you know. And at university, as he was studying law, he met this bunch of Christians who believed in Jesus and believed that the Bible was actually true and historically reliable. And he mocked them and he laughed at them, uh, you know, and, and he, he sort of jeered them and, and, you know, belittled them. But there was this, you know, one girl in the group that was really pretty. So, <laughs> you know, he kept spending time with this group because he really liked this girl. But, but, he, but he always, you know, whenever he got a, an opportunity, he would sort of stick it to them, you know, and, and, and tease them about their naivete, you know, and believing, you know, the New Testament and believing that the Bible is actually true. Until one day this girl, um, or uh, you know, maybe it was someone else in the group, but someone in the group challenged him and said, okay, you don't believe that the New Testament is true? Why don't you prove it? Why don't you prove that the, the New Testament is not true, that it's not reliable? You're studying law, you know the you know, the principles of how to prove things, and you know the principles of evidence, why don't you prove it? He said, well, I will. I will. And he took up the challenge, you know. And he started doing research, and to his shock and surprise, the evidence that he discovered, which he thought would disprove the New Testament and show that what he believed, you see, the reality is all of us want to believe that what we already believe is true. So we have confirmation bias, you know. We, we want to just confirm what we already believe. And, and that's what he wanted to do. He, he thought the evidence was going to confirm what he believed, you know, in his, his skepticism and his doubt about the, the New Testament. And to his shock and horror, it proved exactly the opposite. It proved that the New Testament was actually historically reliable. It was true. And he ended up writing a thick book like this that you can still get today. In fact, he wrote two volumes, you know, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Volume 1 and 2, in which he, you know, documents all the evidence that he found that took him from being a skeptic to having to grudgingly admit that the New Testament is actually true. It's, it's a thick book like this. I've got it at home. Um, new evidence that demands a verdict. And he documents all his evidence. And he actually dedicated his life to showing people, the, to helping people like Luke know the certainty of what they've been taught. And he said, you know, there, are two, there were two questions as he was doing his research. Is what we have in the New Testament what was originally written down? Question number one. And question number two, is what was originally written down true? Those were the two questions, or two of the questions that he used, you know, to sort of do his research. And, you know, it talks about, firstly, what actually happened, the nature of what happened. You know, is it true and what happened, you know, in history? And how was that history eventually written down and conveyed to us. And what Luke says here, very briefly, 
is a powerful argument that on both those counts we can have very strong confidence in the Bible and, and in, in what he's, he's writing. So, so he says, um, firstly, that he's going to write an orderly account because he has carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Now, many people have all kinds of stereotypes, and, and once again, people don't look at the evidence. What they do is they say, I don't want to believe the Bible is true, so I'm going to sort of just believe whatever I want to about the Bible. I'm not going to look at what the evidence is, because you know, people who want to believe what they want to believe are usually afraid you know, of the evidence. You know, don't confuse me with the evidence. I know what I want to believe. Don't confuse me with the evidence. <laughs> but if you look at the evidence, you see that Luke, particularly, I mean, he's, he's the historian par excellence of the, of the Bible, of the New Testament. He used very sound and, and just common sense, good historical methods to do his history of Luke and Acts, of Jesus and the early church. Um, and, and, he, and he tells us what it is. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled. So he's say, saying, I have written sources. People have written these things down. They've, people before me have drawn up accounts. Mine's not the first gospel. Mine's not the first history of what happened in Jesus' life. I have the others. I've done my research. I've got the document history. And, and we, know, we, we don't know what all of them are. He says many. We don't know what all of them are. But we know at least a couple. We know, for instance, that Mark's gospel, both Matthew and Luke independently use Mark's gospel as one of their written sources. I mean, you can see it where they often word-for-word word copy him and then sometimes sort of edit him because Mark, Mark's gospel was a bit shorter, so he, he often he includes less material in his gospel. So the, what he includes is sometimes he's a bit more verbose about it, you know, and he sort of repeats himself. So, so Mark, Matthew and Mark, in those days the, the scroll was only so long, so he had only so much space. They cut out, you know, the unnecessary parts, the sort of repetition so that they can fit it into a scroll more, more easily. And you can very clearly see that when you study, when you compare the, the Gospels with, with one another. So he has written sources. And then he talks about, um, you know, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So he's saying these, these Gospel accounts that were drawn up, written, were based on eyewitness testimony. Now, how do you do history? There's only one way to do history. There are only two sources of historic knowledge. Testimony, from an eyewitness testimony of people who were there, and artifacts. Documents or, or like, you know, physical objects that prove, you know, what, what happened there. And, and, and what Luke is saying is, I, I studied not only the written accounts, but the eyewitness testimonies. I interviewed the eyewitnesses on, whom, uh, 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 on whose testimony this, these written accounts were based. I did a careful investigation, in other words. So, so what you have is you have the events that took place in the life of Jesus and the, and the early church. Then you have the eyewitnesses to those events. And, and he says, you know, some people say, Okay, you, you have the events that took place, then you have the eyewitnesses, and then you have the people who wrote it down, so, so it's like third generation, you know. And, I mean, I, I, even some Christian scholars, you know, say that. And I, and I think to myself, didn't they read what Luke said? 
And, and then, they, you know, guys will have arguments like this. No, it's like that, you know, that um, telephone game you play? You know, one guy whispers in another guy's ear, and then he whispers in the next guy's ear, and then he whispers in the next guy's ear. And then what you had, you know, at the beginning of the group, you know, after 10 or 15 people is way different, completely different. And they say, oh, the Bible's like that. It's been changed so many, over so many generations and through so many word of mouth being passed on, being handed down, that you cannot really trust it. No, that's not at all what Luke is saying. He's saying the things that happen, the things that have happened, uh, 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 are recorded are things that have been fulfilled among us. So he's saying, he's claiming that he's re- recorded in writing not only something that has been orally passed on and then written down by others, but that has been orally passed on and written down by others within the first generation when the eyewitnesses were still alive to check it. Not only the positive eyewitnesses who believed the gospel, but the hostile eyewitnesses who opposed it. So he says, all of this happened. It's not like a little loose telephone thing with no checks and balances. It happened in public. And the eyewitnesses, I mean, in, in, I'm not going to read it now, but if you can go and read in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I, I passed on to you what was also handed down to me um, as of first importance. And he says, you know, about Jesus dying and, and the gospel, summary of the gospel. And then he says, at some stage, you know, Jesus was seen by 500 people at one time. And then he says, the majority of whom are still alive. You can go and talk to them. They can take these written accounts as eyewitnesses, read through them. And if there's any mistake in there, they can say, hey, this is not accurate account. Even the hostile witnesses can take these written accounts and read them and say, this is not what happened. Guess what? No one did. (laughs) Why did no one say this is, why did the eyewitnesses never say this is an inaccurate account? I mean, the the Romans and even the, the, the hostile Jewish leaders who opposed Jesus and the apostles, I mean, you can understand that they would have wanted to say this is not what happened. We were there because they were there. And if there was something they could find that they could say, no, this is inaccurate, this, is, this didn't happen at all, they would have said it. But they didn't. Why not? Because it was accurate. History, eyewitness accounts that were accurately recorded, accurately handed down through oral tradition, and then accurately recorded in written form. And Every now and again, every Sunday in, in, in the services, and in fact, in the early church, they met every day, they could check what was read with, I mean, imagine reading the Gospel of Luke and the account of what happened there, and, and three or four of the eyewitnesses are sitting in the congregation, and they're listening, and they're nodding their heads, and like, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yes, that's exactly what Jesus said. Yes, he actually did do that miracle. In fact, you know, one guy jumps up in the back and waves his arm and says, this is the arm that Jesus caused to grow back again. <laughs> that was how it was in the early church. There were all these checks and balances the whole time. Now, what does that mean for us? That means that we can be confident. We can know for certain that the things that are recorded are historically accurate because they were well checked. You can see that Luke is using sound historical methodology. You can trust what he's saying. You can know for certain that what he's saying is true. And therefore you can have confidence in what he's saying. But that's not the only reason. It's not only because he did a a careful investigation and wrote an orderly account that you can have confidence. It's also because of the nature of what happened that you can have confidence. 
He says in, in, in verse 1, he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. It's a very interesting phrase he uses there. And, and this is very powerful. I, I really want you to, to get this. Um, when he says the things that have been fulfilled, that have been fulfilled is, is you know, a very long word in Greek. It's, it's a, and it's what's called a, a perfect participle, a, a perfect Passive participle. Now, I'll explain that, and I'll, I'll t- tell you why I'm saying this is important. It's, it's something has been fulfilled, but it's, it's perfect. Now, the perfect tense is, is completed action that has continuing relevance or continuing influence. That's what, a, what, it, what grammatically the perfect participle means. So, so he's talking about something that has been accomplished, that has been finished, that has been completed, but that still has a continuing influence on our lives. And it's passive. Now, when something's passive, um, you know, it doesn't tell you who the, the doer of the action is. Um, it's the difference between I kick the ball, active kick, and the ball has been kicked. Okay? That's passive. Now, often the biblical writers, and this is the important part, will use the passive voice in what they call the divine passive. When they, in, uh, to avoid saying the, 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 you know, the name of God unnecessarily, they will put what God does in the passive voice. And they, it's called the divine passive. In other words, what, what, what Luke is saying here, the things that have been fulfilled amongst us are things that have been completed, that have been finished, done, that have... A, continuing influence, but they've been done by God. So what is being recorded in the gospel, yes, there are human actors, but through all of those human actors, they are fulfilling, or they have fulfilled, what God has promised and what God was doing in human history. And what God has done in human history, in the life of Jesus and the early church, continues to have an influence on our lives. So we can have confidence and know the certainty because it's not just human actors playing out a bit role in history. It's God himself intervening in history. Luke is recording for us what God has done which continues, what he, what he completed and what, he, what continues to have an influence in our lives. And that's powerful. That's powerful. But what I want you to think about is God completed it and it continues to have an influence in our lives, but the influence it has in our lives, what God has fulfilled, the influence of what God has fulfilled has in our lives depends on our certainty. Of what he has done. The continuing influence of what God has fulfilled depends on our level of certainty in what he has done. And that's why Luke writes to us and says, I want you to know for certain what God has done, so that the influence of what God has fulfilled in your life, all the promises, hundreds and even thousands of promises in the Old Testament that God fulfilled in the life of Jesus in the early church, that that can have a powerful, continue to have a powerful influence in your life as individuals and as a community. I just want to give you an opportunity. I mean, you turn to each other two by two. I want to end off and give you another opportunity. Just turn to each other again. And just share with each other, you know, in light of what I just shared now, how much more 
certain are you? And how can you grow in your certainty in what God has done? I'm just going to give you a minute or so. Quickly turn to each other and just share with one another. And how can you help others grow in their certainty? So, I just want to encourage you, please join us for the Christmas challenge. Let's start on the 1st of December. Let's read a chapter of Luke's gospel every day. Um, You know, in your small groups, you're going to... You know, every day post on your WhatsApp groups, or maybe you're going to do it on, on you version. You, there's, there's like a devotional where you can read together and sort of post comments. But, but the idea is that you, that you all read the same chapter on the same day and then sort of just post on the WhatsApp group or wherever what stood out for you and why, you know, and, and that we learn and grow together. And let's, let's encourage one another in this. But I want to encourage you as you read the Gospel of Luke, trust God that you will grow in your certainty in your confidence of what happened. We can have great confidence. I mean, I was, uh, uh, Josh McDowell used to put it this way. He said, you know, nowadays people have, have great confidence, you know, when they say, you know, anything, you know, even when they're not telling the truth. Um, but very few people are willing to pay the price for, for, for that confidence, you know. They'll, they'll say, you know, it's, it's like that old thing, you know, um, where the guy says, you know, he's, he's sort of walking with a wheelbarrow across a tightrope and he walks back and, they, and he says, you know, do you believe I can walk across a tightrope with a wheelbarrow? And like, yes, yes, we just see you, saw you do it. Uh, and then he says, well, who are you going to get into the wheelbarrow? And like, whoa. <laughs> because then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, you're putting your life on the truth that you claim to have confidence in. Okay? The early church, the guys, the eyewitnesses and the guys who recorded this, they had so much confidence in what they had written and what they had testified of that they were willing to sign their testimony in their own blood. They were willing to die for it. It's not just talk. You can have, you can have confidence in that. And let's trust that as we read through the, uh, through the gospel of Luke that we'll grow in our confidence, in our certainty of what God has done. And let's encourage one another in that as Luke encourages Theophilus. Amen. Let's stand. Yes, Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, that you encourage us through your word. Lord, and I just want to pray, Lord, for, for every person here This morning, Lord, you know, Lord, I can see faces, but you can see hearts. You know where every heart is. You know how much certainty or how much uncertainty and doubt is in every heart. And, Lord, I just want to consecrate every person's heart to you. And I pray, Lord, that you'll touch hearts and hearts that are filled with doubt and uncertainty, that you'll encourage them and enable them to grow in their certainty, to grow in their confidence in your word. And Lord, we just, we just consecrate ourselves to you, Lord, as your people, Lord, as a church. And we pray, Lord, that as we read the gospel of Luke together, Lord, during December, Lord, 
in, in the sort of build-up towards Christmas, Lord. And as, as we preach about it, Lord God, in the, in the different sermons, Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that you will, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts, that you'll, as it were, do open-heart surgery, that you'll cut away the uncertainty and the doubt and the skepticism and the cynicism, that you'll cut it away, Lord, that, our heart, that the callousness in our hearts, the, the desire not to believe in our hearts, or, the, or the, the doubt, the unfounded doubt in our hearts, that you'll just cut it away, Lord, and that our hearts will be softened and not only believe the truth, but believe the truth with such certainty that we can live with confidence. Lord, that we'll have so much confidence in your word and so much excitement about your word that we'll that we won't, Lord, even as, as the Gospel of Luke says, that we won't be able to hold back from testifying of what we have seen and heard, of what we have experienced about you. Lord, I just pray, pray your blessing of your people in Jesus' name. Lord, we live in a world so filled with doubt and skepticism, a world so hopeless at many times, Lord, a world that's looking towards politicians or world systems or towards self Lord but there's no hope there Lord only in you is there hope and Lord we pray Lord that that we'll be able to testify to a hopeless world that there's hope in you and that we'll be able to do it with such certainty and such confidence that people's hearts will be touched and changed Lord and I just bless your people as they go out Lord, we believe, Lord, that we are the church when we gather and we believe that we are the church when we scatter. And Lord, as we scatter as the church now, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'll bless your saints and cause us to be witnesses to this world and to be a blessing in this world in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.